0: Welcome to AMDA On The Go, your gateway to expert discussions, journal article reviews, and innovations in post-acute and long-term care. AMDA On The Go is a presentation of AMDA, the Society for Post-Acute and Long-Term Care Medicine. Statements made by guests on the podcast are their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the position of the society. A speaker's appearance on the program does not imply an endorsement of them, their views, or any entity they represent. This podcast is eligible for ABPLM pre-approved certified medical director credits. Details will be provided at the end of this podcast. And now, here's our host for Amda on the go, Dr. Diane Sanders-Cepeda.
1: Hello, everyone. My name is Dr. Diane Sanders-Cepeda, and I welcome you again to another Amda on the Go. Today, I'm joined by Dr. Catherine Evans, who I'm going to have introduce herself in a minute. And we're going to talk about nursing leadership really meeting the moment. So, Catherine, if you would please introduce yourself.
2: Sure. Thanks, Diane. So I am a nurse practitioner and I'm four certified in geriatrics as well as hospice and palliative care. I went to Emory for my master's, Vanderbilt for my doctorate. Um, Additionally, I'm past president of GAPNA, which is the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association. My current role is with a company called Novocardia, where I'm the chief nursing officer and senior vice president of clinical services. And I'm thrilled to be here today. Thanks for having me.
1: And in full disclosure, I will say that Catherine um, um, and I worked on the same team with within United Healthcare at one point in time. She was our chief nursing officer and left us to go to greener pastures, hire more amazing um, things. So it's really just amazing to sit here and, be, and talk to you. Well, back at
2: you, Diane. Thank you.
1: <laughs> so. Catherine, I, I wanted to talk about um, nursing leadership and in the the um, the lens of the staffing challenges and crisis that post-acute long-term care finds itself in, uh, I I don't think you're, I think you're really very much aware of the difficulties that we've had with um, staffing for um, the past, oh my gosh, 10, 20 years and the challenges that Covid has um, brought upon really is seeing how many individuals we have lost in 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 the way of um of our our nurses, um, sometimes the, who are probably uncounted. And then seeing just the the huge migration out of um with the nurses going to agencies we're losing directors of nurses to um, agencies and doing those, those type of things. So I wanna really just focus in on the nursing leadership and how, how do we tackle this, this crisis given all of the challenges that we have even in the leadership positions?
2: So, I think it's really multifactorial, and I agree with you. The nursing home setting has been hit particularly hard in the in terms of losing nurses uh, beginning, during, and after the pandemic. It's really becoming a, a critical issue. and uh, there's a recent publication from Peter Bearhouse in health affairs that I would encourage everyone to look at if it's uh, focused on nurse employment in the early days, the first 15 months of the pandemic. And you can really see that the nursing home staffing falls off a cliff even compared to hospitals, home health and other settings. So um, it's critically important that we are really focused on our staff and caring about their needs and determining where we can help to support them. Um, And I think that starts with with nurse leadership as well as uh, empowering nurses at the bedside in order to provide the care that is really meaningful to them and their practice. Uh, So there's a variety of reasons why nurses leave the workforce. Uh, There's workload, environment, culture, physical and emotional strain. Um, so these are all areas that, as leaders, we need to focus on making better for our staff, and as interprofessional teams, that we're all working better together, so that ultimately our goal of taking care of the patients and providing the highest quality of care is met.
1: It's interesting. It's it's it, it's really worrisome when you think about the fact that 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 drop off the cliff was so much um, worse in the nursing homes and I like the the idea of working together. I don't know how well we execute upon that um, w- my concern has always been in, in seeing the, the 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 way we interact um, whether it is the physicians, nurse practitioners, um, physician assistants, the way we interact with, the the RNs and lpns and the cnas it it, it is it varies so dramatically not only from building to building but unit to unit in a nursing home Um, more so than what i've seen in the hospital so where do we even begin with the collaboration what's that gold standard
2: so ultimately and when i think about the interprofessional team i always put the patient in the middle So I think about all of us come to work every day in these facilities to provide the best care possible for our patients. And how can we, if we start our days thinking about our patients, end our days thinking about our patients, and are really focusing on how does my interaction with this person best benefit the patient? And I think that is always, in my mind, where the gold standard lies is that very clear focus on patient care and and improvement in patient care. How do we do that? I think there's a whole lot of ways that we can work better together. Some of them are very obvious and, and they just require taking the time because we all get very busy and we all have to rush through our days to get a whole lot of things done. But taking the time to really getting to get to know each other, focusing on how we can make sure that we're communicating better, asking questions about how should we communicate? What do you prefer to get a text or a phone call? Or do you prefer face-to-face conversations for certain items? I think having those conversations are very important. And having just very clear respect for one another is, is important. Every person in that facility is there in service of the patient and has a unique and important role regardless of where someone sits along the quote unquote hierarchy and so i think of i think of patient care in in a circle and because in a hierarchy there's nowhere for the patient to be in a hierarchy there's just a lot of us on the outside and the patient gets left out uh, but in that circle the patient sits in the middle and we're all there in service of that person. So making sure that we're really focused on one another and how we can best reach that goal together is important. Additionally, I think advocacy is important here. So when one person on the team is seeing that a nurse is not being treated well, uh, that's the place where we need to stop and really focus on that. How do we have a conversation around that? Do we need to have some changes in leadership, in protocols, and process? what are the actual issues at hand and how can we best advocate to ensure that the team is most effective?
1: Thinking about that, I'm, I, I keep I'm visualizing the, the hierarchy, the pyramid um, type structure um, and trying to transform that into, into the circle where the patient is in the mi- middle, our resident is in the middle. And I'm wondering, in thinking about advocacy, how do we how do we be the advocate for our nurses in the buildings to know that they're empowered and that they can either maybe push back or speak up to say something? Because usually it's just, oh, doctor, oh, you're you're the clinician, oh, you're the one who's, pre- you're the prescriber, um, and they don't have a voice. And I think that um, I've seen that many times in many um, different um, care settings. And how do you empower them to let them know that they have a voice and that their voice is critically important?
2: So I think that starts with asking questions. Instead of saying to the nurse or the team, this is what you need to do. It's as simple as what do you think we should do today? What do you think this person means? How do you think we should proceed next? And really listening and understanding their perspective and determining what are the pieces and where is that person coming from that are important in making the next step decision. So and is it is it ordering another test? Is it doing some additional monitoring? If you ask a lot of questions of the staff, over time you really get to know what are their strengths, where can they best help you, and how can they feel empowered? I will say in working in the nursing home, the staff at the bedside know that patient better than anybody. Oftentimes, even the housekeeping staff know the patient better than any of us. So asking those questions really empowers those staff members to feel that they can speak up and provide valuable information, especially when you act on that information and make decisions based upon it. And Oftentimes we get in a rush and we want to write the order and move on to the next person because we have so much to do. And I completely, completely understand that. It really does, though, make a big difference to take just a few minutes to stop and have that conversation. In addition to asking about the patients, you know, it also helps to really have a personal relationship of some type with your with your nursing staff. So asking how was their vacation how are the kids doing how you know how are you feeling today um, really feeling as though they are personally invested um, with the team is important as well
1: Yeah, I, I think that that is definitely um, a critical item that we really need to sort of incorporate it to our day-to-day you know making sure we're having, conversations that they don't have to be like um, scripted conversations, saying hi matters, (laughs) Um, talking to a person matters, like, you know, saying, how is your day, all of that, that helps. And I found that, um, and I'm pretty sure many of, um, of our people, the people who we work with, and and Amda, Gapna, um, Nadana would probably say the same thing where, when you're talking to somebody and you're having that conversation, sometimes they're giving you the information you need. Like talking to a CNA, talking to the person, um, the, the the nurse who just finished med pass, and having someone say, "Well, you know, they just weren't as they weren't themselves. They I noticed that their food was uneaten. I noticed that there was a problem here, and you you follow up on that and you thank them for giving you that that information because that tiny change is a is a was not just a clue but it was the first detection of a change of condition and I think it's very important to um, when when you have those moments to really acknowledge the fact that they helped you make this diagnosis
2: absolutely Diane i um, I think that's very important and in, in one facility I worked in, I had an staff member who was in housekeeping and she had spent her career working in hospitals and she was very adept at at seeing changes in conditions and patients. And she would often bring that to me because she would walk in the room typically at the same time every day to see her patients and take care of their needs. And she knew when they looked different or when they were in the bed, when they were typically up in the chair or when there was something happening that didn't seem like it was just right. And she would bring that information to me all the time. And I was always appreciative of that because she has a perspective that no one else in the facility had.
1: So let me ask you, um, you know, and I, I want to talk about culture for a minute. And I know we, we always said um, when I worked with Optum and I worked, when I worked in my private practice, you see one building, you see one building. But there are things that drive you out of a building. There are things that made me leave certain hospitals, and it was usually around the culture. But even broader than just that facilities culture, the nursing culture. I, I've noticed, and I'm just gonna be honest, I've noticed that there is there is sometimes tension between RNs, LPNs, the CNAs, um, the charge nurse in the building, the unit manager in a nursing home. What 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 is behind that? Um, what do you, what is taught in nursing school that that leads to that? Because even more so than what I've seen on the with medical um, physicians, and I'm not saying that it doesn't happen there, but I, I just being honest, I see it so much. So I'm just curious, and maybe you can shine some light on that.
2: Sure. Well, certainly nurses are not immune to the hierarchical approach to healthcare. So. Uh... I don't know that anything is necessarily taught in nursing school that leads to that. I do feel that over the past 20 years, there's been a big push to try to improve in that world of the quote unquote, eat your young focus, where we aren't necessarily showing the respect that, that our new nursing staff deserve, or that nursing staff of different licensure deserve in a facility or in an area or in anywhere where Nurses are providing care, and there's a variety of different staff at, at different um, levels of education and training. I think all of these things really start with leadership, right? So, um, and leadership is not always an official leader in a building. So, if you think about a nursing leader being the director of nursing, that is one person who is a leader in the building. Oftentimes, there's a in, uh, many influencers in a building as well. So. It's important to know who those people are and what kind of influence they are able to deliver in a building and, and over the culture. In order to really have that positive culture, we have to invest in it. It takes time. It takes focus. Culture is not something that happens all by itself. Culture happens when people are intentionally creating a positive workplace and focusing on the needs of all employees as well as the patients. So. Um, Additionally, I think it's important to make sure that there's proper staffing. So I think staffing shortages often also lead to the frustrations and agitations that sometimes you see in facilities. So when there is a staffing shortage, it is much harder to put on a happy face and have a have a good positive environment because you feel that as if you're constantly, drowning and are unable to keep up with the workload. So it's certainly multifactorial and it's important for everyone to take some ownership in that process and understand that we're, we're all responsible for creating a positive culture.
1: I like that. I used to tell my nurse practitioners, we really have to own our practice. And I think even, um, in the day to day, I I don't know if I've ever heard that um, shared amongst um, um, our nursing team, but I really it is ownership. I I I come to the nurses for insight and um, um, information and trying to understand what has been happening um, while they're in the building, and I think um, really making like you said before, making them feel empowered, making the letting them understand that we're all advocates and that. No one is better than the other person. Everybody has a a role to play and taking care of that resident, that patient, I think is is vitally important. Let me ask this, you know, in thinking about the the eat your own kind of (laughs) statement, (laughs) which is still like, like, oh my gosh. (laughs) But in thinking about that, I've heard many nurses tell me, well, I don't want to work in post-acute long-term care. is is um, you know is toxic. is uh, it is difficult. It, there's too much work to do. Um, what do we need to be doing to teach and to attract more people to this this um, this care setting?
2: It's a great question. I think some of it starts with exposure to the setting. So oftentimes many nurses in nursing school don't necessarily get exposure to the nursing home. It often does carry a negative connotation. I think that there's a lot of great value in nursing home care that we certainly need to be advertising and promoting to potential nursing staff. So one is you really, as a nursing home nurse, uh, there's a lot of autonomy in the post-acute and long-term care space. You're able to have what we talked about earlier, your own nursing practice, really focus on how you want to care for that person in, in the ways that are meaningful to you as a nurse. I also think that there are very few settings where you have that true interdisciplinary care day in and day out from so many different members of the interdisciplinary team that are really touching every single patient that you take care of. And that was always one of my favorite things about the nursing home space is the ability to interact and collaborate and really provide a true interdisciplinary plan of care to a patient. And I think that geriatrics really is a team sport. And when done well, we can play together very nicely and knock it out of the park. It, it's a lot of fun. Additionally, I think that it all goes back to that culture piece. and. We all really need to be focusing on that. And when people come into a facility and they say and they see the great culture and they see people smiling and enjoying the patient care that they're providing, and working together with a lot of different team members who are enjoying their work together, I, I think that's another piece that will be more, make the make the the post acute and long term space more attractive to other nurses as well.
1: So you said something that. Um... It, i i mean you you said everything <laughs> that is amazing but you said something to me earlier and i wanted to make sure we touch upon it because in in hearing how how you are um you know really thinking about bringing value to to the work it's in, in empowering um, our nurses you mentioned something about value-based nursing care can you um define and explain what that is
2: so this is something that has been receiving a lot more attention lately, which is, of course, value-based care, right? We've all been talking about value-based care in a variety of different ways and settings, and how we can promote that triple aim of providing better quality of care at a lower cost with the better outcomes. So in value-based nursing care, we're really empowering our nurses to do just that, which is have their practice in a way where they can deliver what they deem is the best value care for that person, really focusing on how they can eliminate some of that unnecessary testing, low value care, um, things that maybe we've always done traditionally that not necessarily are valuable any longer, and how can that be delivered in the most meaningful way so that patients have better outcomes and better quality of life. So An example that I often give is we have a tendency in facilities to want to check blood sugars, check AccuChecks four times a day. It is extraordinarily burdensome on staff to do that. There's not always a reason that that person may need those those AccuChecks four times a day. So how can we empower our nurses to say, you know, talking to the the provider and say, you know, I'm doing these blood sugars every day and they are always the same. I'm never giving insulin coverage. Everybody's this person, this patient is absolutely stable. So can we, can we back this off? Or maybe they're giving, they're checking a blood sugar every morning, every day at 6.30 AM and every day at 6.30 AM, they're getting a reading of 86, roughly. Is that really valuable to do that every single morning? Are we providing high value care by doing a whole lot of extra testing while we it gives us data to look at, but it's not necessarily actionable? So value-based nursing care is a way in which we can empower our nurses to really in, in promote and, and integrate that high value care into their practices so that patients are, frankly, happier and healthier.
1: No, that that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, I, I like the example of the the endless the the what A C H S AccuChecks that um, you wouldn't want to be called with every AccuCheck. So why do you want to, Do you even need to have that tested? And and I think the it, it is that that's a perfect example. I also think about all the num- the number of medications we give. Um, just I don't think we we even do the count, not like how many times a day are we doing the med pass? I think there's opportunities there. If, if I was going to put it in the context of value-based nursing care, you know, should I have my, the nurses, um, spending so much time chasing down a person to give, um, ABC medication (laughs) rather than doing some of the other things that we know we have to do.
2: That's a great call out, Diane. Deprescribing is a huge priority for all of us. And it, you're right. It's its a multifactorial purpose there in order to, it, it eliminates medications that patients are taking that may not necessarily be beneficial as well as eliminates nursing time. So that's another critical piece as well.
1: Let me ask, um, you know, I think that in, uh, when we first started our conversation today we were talking about the, the, the staffing challenges and i know that when we look at our nursing facilities they're they're not the the best they're not paid in the in the best way i will say with that coming down from not only the federal government the um state you know thinking about medicaid and all and, and all of that so i don't they're the the highest when it comes to paying um some of our um our nurses and we've um i've i've been asked i think we've seen where we now have more nurses they have more opportunities so sometimes you're seeing a nurse um um, leave the building to, to now to go to agency, um, get a higher payer paying job. We're also seeing that some nurses just go straight through and become, um, are now getting their doctorate and nurse practitioner. Um, is that, is that benefiting um, the profession? Is that, is that hinder, is a hindrance to the profession? I don't know how to quantify it. I don't know how, um, what, what it says about the way we're we're paying people to do certain tasks, or making it more attractive to do something else, um, and I'm just curious. I would I would love to to get your insight on that.
2: So I think that we are, are we are in a very interesting marketplace right now, where we have a lot of opportunities for nurses to make salaries that they may have never seen before. I, I I do believe that many nurses are, are right now that are choosing that path are really in a situation where they're burned out of their current role. Nurses don't necessarily go into healthcare because they want to be paid a lot of money. They know they want to be fa- paid a fair wage for the work that they perform, and I think that that is what you're seeing now is that the market is dictating that there's a different, there's a different value for nurses. So it, I will say nurses are not necessarily dropping what they're doing in a job that they love and are happy in to leave and take a better paying job. So nurses do not primarily leave their roles because of their salary. They leave because they're overworked. The environment is not good that there's a struggle with the culture, or that they're just tired of the physical and emotional strain. What we know is that about 30% of nursing graduates just ultimately leave the profession in the first two years. So it's a matter of really making sure that we are fostering a, a work environment where nurses want to stay. I don't, know how things will ultimately play out with with the salaries and and the way things are going um but i do think that we are in a we are in a unique place uh with the with the market and how how nurses are currently being compensated additionally i think you had a question about about doctorally prepared nurses is that right diane
1: yeah yeah um there's been a lot of um, a lot of comments i will say about nurses going like directly through their program and um, getting their doctorate. I don't know if that's even, um, if that is a, a an advertised um, career um, pathway from like a, a, a university. I'm just curious because I, we, we've received a lot of comments about it and I'm just curious to, to get your, um, wh- how you think about that.
2: Sure, so first I will say moving straight to a doctorate is not a unique path to nursing there are other paths in healthcare that have that that have that same track so if you look at physical therapy that is now a doctorate if you look at how many psychologists are trained they often now go straight through a doctoral program so um even in medicine you come out uh, you know straight through so it's it's not as if that's that path is special for nurses it's new and different for nurses and it's not necessarily unique in healthcare though so obviously we all value experience and at the same time we all have a need to have highly qualified healthcare professionals out in the field taking care of patients particularly in the areas of primary care and geriatrics These are areas that are very short staffed and are relying on professionals who have the education and training to provide not just care at the bedside or care in the office or care in the hospital, but additionally have the capabilities to provide quality improvement and process improvement and are able to not just see their patients and and write prescriptions and treat and manage chronic care, but also make the healthcare system better. So I think we all have to be thoughtful about putting our new graduates in settings that will set them up for success. Whether that is a new graduate RN, BSN, MSN, DNP, PhD, wherever that person lands, it needs to be a place where they are supported and they are set up for success. So I don't think it's a question of, is, the, is this necessarily we're doing the right thing? I think it's, are we putting people in the right places so that they can deliver the best quality outcomes?
1: Yeah, And I, I truly appreciate that perspective because, you know, in thinking about it, you're right. The, the PT, physical therapist, they can get, they go straight through OT and yeah, as the physicians, we go straight through And And I don't think anyone has ever questioned that. So I, I I truly thank you for um, that enlightenment because that is the way we need to be thinking of that. Um, I also agree. I mean, we see within the, the medical profession, whether you're MDDO, you're not getting enough exposure to geriatrics as a whole. Um, you know, a lot of uh, many of those rotations uh, in medical school are truly internal medicine and they're not geriatrics. So I think that exposure um, um, is important across all disciplines. Um, We need to be increasing the exposure for our medical students, uh, interns, uh, residents as a whole, especially if we want people to understand how to practice in our space.
2: I couldn't agree more Diane I when I came to geriatrics I felt like I hit the jackpot and I was I was not exposed to many of the geriatrics principles and settings in my education that I could have been and when I was I was I felt like I really found a home so I, I agree more exposure is really what's needed to get people to understand what a great place it is to, to be into practice.
1: So I'm also, you know, I, I, I wanna say, I think that when I, I look at um, the nursing leaders that I know, um, you, um, um, you know, we had Mary Knapp and um, Emily Nicoli on our panel a few weeks ago at the conference, um, we, um, there, there are so, so much diversity there in what you could do. Can you share with us your journey? Because I know you've been you've been everything. So can you, I would just really love if you share with our audience the the journey that you've had. Sure.
2: So my journey started as a nurse in the ICU, and I spent time in the ICU as well as in uh, the cath lab, and did some work as a nurse in the cath lab cardiac rehab. And I went back to school, got a a family nurse practitioner master's and went into working in inpatient and outpatient cardiology. And I left cardiology and went into geriatrics, spent 10 years in the EverCare model slash Optum care model and spent a lot of time in that role in focused on quality improvement and how we can improve the care in the nursing homes. Worked a lot with uh, Dr. Namali Stone on antibiotic stewardship in the facilities, and frankly, just had a, a, a great time uh, practicing in, in those facilities in post acute and long term care. I then went back to school, got my doctorate at Vanderbilt, and uh, ended up starting a doctor of nursing practice program at Georgia State University. I was there for a couple of years. And after that, transitioned to United Healthcare, where I had the joy of working with you and an amazing team in Retiree Solutions, um, and ultimately was the Chief Nursing Officer for Retiree Solutions. And left that role last year and came to a new startup, a little bit full circle. Now I'm working back in cardiology and value based care. So, my goal in my current role is to promote the right care for patients in cardiology. So how we can eliminate some of those unnecessary procedures and unnecessary care and promote health and wellness for those patients who need it. Um, In that time, uh, along the way, I was also president of GAPNA, which is the Gerontological Advanced Practice Nurses Association. Uh, I also served as Gatna's Leadership Institute Director after I was president, and I still stay very engaged uh, with that organization as well. Um, it really is the premier organization for those advanced practice providers caring for older adults, and it's frankly just been a joy to have that family of nurse practitioners to spend some time with outside of work.
1: Dr. Catherine Evans, I thank you. Thank you for sharing your um, your career journey. I, <laughs> I think you need to share it all the time because it's amazing. I think that um, you really embody working at the top of your license. Um, you, you, you've taught me a lot about um, what that means, and I thank you for joining us today.
2: Thanks for having me. It's been a lot of fun.
1: Thank you.
0: If you are a physician interested in obtaining ABPLM pre approved certified medical director credits for certification or recertification, go to our learning management system at apex.paltc.org. That's apex.paltc.org. Click on the podcast and follow the link to this episode.